0: You are listening to a sermon brought to you by Shattern State Chi Alpha. I pray that this sermon will bless you and teach you something new today. And you can find a link to our website in the info. Check it out and shoot us a message. We would love to hear from you. And so, um, from there, going into the sermon, I know this is a rough transition. However, um, when I was writing this sermon out, and I was last, or two weeks ago, before you guys had break, we did the How to Pray sermon, um, and I thought it went over really well. And as as a part of a sermon series, one of the things that I feel like doesn't get taught enough is how to read the Bible. What is the proper way to read a Bible? How, how do you read Scripture? Like, what are we as Christians, how are we supposed to read Scripture? And uh, as silly as it is, because One of the most, if not the most important thing for us as believers to do is to be in the word and learn the word and read scripture and actually, um, take the time to figure out what it says. But yet very few times have I ever heard somebody preach on how to actually read the Bible. And so today, um, kind of like two weeks ago when we did the, how to pray sermon, um, my belief is that the best way to learn how to do something is to do it. And so just like last time, um, my sermon is going to be a lot shorter than normal, but we're going to allow for some time for you guys to practice what I preach today, um, because I, I think it's so important for you to actually get into the word and actually study the word and not just take my word for it, not just um, live a secondhand Christianity. I want you to actually be learning about the material that we talk about on a Tuesday night. <clears throat> and so to start the sermon out, I'm going to give you a quote, and it's it's one of my favorite Bible verses. And uh, if you know what I'm talking about and you know where it comes from, be quiet, but um, but yeah, for real, this is one of my favorite Bible verses. It says, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I love that verse, and it's one of my favorite verses, and it's probably my favorite for a way different reason than you guys even think, but if you were to take this verse, and I'll read it again, all this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. If I just took this for face value and I just read it, what does it sound like I'm talking about? What does it mean to you? Like if you were to read this and you were to listen to this, um, it would be so quick and so easy, or we would be so quick and it'd be so easy to interpret this as, if I worship God, then he's going to align my paths. He's going to give me my heart's desire. He's going to give me what I want. And then right there with reading that is exactly what's wrong with taking a verse putting it on a bumper sticker, and throwing it on our car. Because the context of this particular verse is significant. It is very important. But it is an awesome verse as it stands alone. It it's it can be powerful if you were to take it and apply it to your life. But what is this verse actually saying? So if we were to look at the context, if you were to find this verse, it's in Matthew 4.9. And so if you want to look that up, feel free. But does anybody know offhand what this verse is in context? Go ahead. Perfect. It's when Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And this is literally Satan's words. Satan says, all this and I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And so I could take this verse and I could look at it and I could figure out, oh, this is an awesome life verse. I want to apply this to my life. But if I were to look in context, I would be literally taking Satan's words and applying it to my life. The context here is significantly important. And so what we as Christians have to do is we have to exegete the scripture. That's a word I'll come back to uh, in just a little bit. But I know this is a dramatic example of what can go wrong when we don't properly look at things within context, but the point is still there. It's still significant, It's and it still applies, and sometimes subtle um, verses that are just subtly out of context can sometimes be more dramatic than something this glaring, because this is obviously out of context, if I were just to quote it, it is it's significant that this is out of context and you know exactly you can figure out, you can deduce what it's from within context, but something a little more subtle than that can be taken and ran with. And it could be even Jesus's words and we can take a uh, a verse and we can take it out of context and we can apply it to our lives in the worst ways ever. And so it's, it's important for us to practice exegesis Exegesis. It's E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. Which is a Greek word for basically, long way about putting it, um, reading and interpreting and applying the Bible to our lives. That's what exegesis is. I'm going to use a lot of big words and it's going to be kind of confusing, but eventually I will have a slide up, um, so that you can see those words and you can screenshot it and you can write it down so you can remember it a little bit better. But, Exegesis is the process of taking the word of God, deducing what it means, and then taking what it means and applying it to our lives. That's what exegesis is. It is in stark contrast to um, eisegesis, which eisegesis is taking our own um, predispositions, our own bias, and implanting it into the scripture. So it's coming to the word with an agenda and then figuring out what the word says according to our agenda and using the Bible to fit our agenda is what eisegesis is. We as Christians have to be careful not to do that. We have to be careful to practice proper exegesis, which is taking the word and figuring out what the word means as its own thing, stand alone, and then taking that and applying it to our lives. And so by definition, exegesis is a, sy- a systematic process by which a person arrives at a reasonable and coherent sense of the meaning and message of a biblical passage. So tonight, when I let you guys practice what I'm preaching, you are literally going to be practicing exegesis. That's a blanket term. You will be practicing exegesis tonight. And so, <clears throat> as I said, be careful not to practice isegesis which is what I would like to call twisting scripture to fit your agenda. <clears throat> and so how do we exegete? Exegete, E-X-E-G-E-T-E, which is the process of exegesis, but the action form. Um, how do we exegete? And that's where the word hermeneutics comes into play. Hermeneutics is a little easier of a word for me to pronounce. Hermeneutics, I like to, to think of it this way, that a football game would be exegesis, and then the rule books would be hermeneutics. So hermeneutics is basically a, a rule book, a, a system of how to exegete, how to study the Bible. And it's basically what happens with hermeneutics is it comes in and it says, hey, there's some ground rules that you need to apply to reading scripture and applying scripture to life. Or And so what we're going to do is through hermeneutics and learning through hermeneutics. And this is a a class I had to take and the textbook was this thick and the title of the class was hermeneutics. And so understand that tonight's sermon and that tonight is an extremely one-on-one basic version of this. And I'm trying to give you as much information as I can without confusing you. And so the term drinking from a fire hydrant is going to come into play. And so, um, I will do my best to get this sermon on the podcast as soon as possible. So if you want to go back and you want to relearn something, you want to figure out something I said, um, I will try to get it up as soon as possible so you will have that information. So if you miss something, don't dwell on it too long. Just try to focus and pay attention to what you can catch tonight, okay? It's going to be... Uh, uh, more of a teaching sermon than it will be a, a typical sermon that I would preach in here. So I apologize if it comes off a little dry, because this is teacher mode. And so I'm trying to give you as much information as I possibly could. So I'm basically going to be reading from my notes quite a bit because it's so important. I don't want to get in any of the information wrong. But back to hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is defined as the science of interpreting what an author has written. And in Christianic theology, hermeneutics focuses specifically on constructing and discovering the appropriate rules for interpreting the Bible. That's according to um, theology.com. Theopedia.com. I've got it later on. And so we have some ground rules that we have to apply before we can interpret scripture. So when we read a piece of scripture, a passage of scripture, whether it's one sentence or an entire book of the Bible, there's some ground rules within hermeneutics. Hermeneutics basically comes in and says, hey, you need to apply these to this scripture before you can apply it to your life. You've got to understand these simple principles about what you're reading before you can just take it and put it as a blanket statement over your life and apply it in a way that it probably wasn't meant. And so the rules that exegesis has, the first one is one rule of interpretation. And so a fundamental belief in in hermeneutics is that there is one original interpretation of the Bible. So the author who wrote the Bible, wrote their letters, wrote their, however they wrote it down, whoever they wrote it to, the gospel, the poems, however they wrote it, they wrote it with one single intended meaning to teach what they wrote. So a basic rule of hermeneutics is we have to understand that the author had one purpose. I mean, that one purpose can be 10 purposes, but there was his original purpose is the one that matters and is the only one that we can really apply. The second rule of, of um Oh yeah, so when doing hermeneutics, when interpreting the Bible, when studying the Bible, you have to always be aware that the author, uh, you always have to be aware of what the author's intention and meaning was. The second rule of of hermeneutics is application. <clears throat> there is even though there is one single interpretation within scripture, There can be multiple applications. So you can take the one single intended interpretation and you can apply it multiple different ways to your life, but there still has to be the one original interpretation. However, our um, applications have to stem from that interpretation and be guided by what that interpretation is and what scripture says elsewhere. It has to line up. The third one is regard for genre. That is because each of the scriptures, each part of the scriptures are written in different ways, different narratives, different forms of writing. You have to take into consideration the genre that it was written in originally. And so a passage might be legal. It might be poem. It might be wisdom. It might be historical. It might be future predicting, but the genres all have to be considered while reading a scripture, So if you're reading something that is in revelation and it's talking about the end times, you have to take that into consideration as opposed to um, reading about something in Genesis, which it's talking about in the beginning, which is historical. You have to apply that rule to reading the Bible. So you have to understand the genre before you can understand what it's talking about. Because if you read Revelation as a historical document, you're going to get really confused as to the timeline of Christianity and what Christianity looked like in the past. Because you're reading a future text as a historical document, and that's just not the way that you should do it. The, the, I believe we're on four. The fourth rule is regard for literary devices. And so... Um, the different ways in which the author uh, expresses their opinion, or not their opinion, but their um, knowledge, can be used in the forms of Hebrew poetry, simile, metaphor, and hyperbole. And so we have to apply those different um, forms to what we're reading. And so if it's saying... Jesus has in, uh, I think it's in Revelations again, it's talking about how Jesus has a horn and seven eyes. It's not speaking literally in that sense. It's talking about the fact that seven is the symbol for perfection. And so it's symbolic. And the horn is, I believe, um, authority. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, so don't quote me on that. But it's, it's, uh, it's trying to paint a picture not in a literal sense. But in a symbolic sense. And so you have to recognize what's symbolism, what's literal before you can interpret a text. And so then the last rule of hermeneutics is harmony. And there's more rules, and there's it's way more complicated, but I really feel like these are the essential 101s And as much information as I can possibly give you tonight, um, well, I will end on harmony. And harmony is important because what it says is that no part of the Bible can t- contradict another part of the Bible. So if you're reading and interpreting something one way, and you read somewhere else, and you interpret it a different way, the Bible can't contradict itself, so somewhere you are interpreting it wrong. Or there's uh, something missing. There's a piece of information missing. There's um, a translational issue. There's got to be something preventing that cooperation between the two verses or the two texts or the two chapters. And so you have to take the Bible as a whole. And because you have to take it as a whole, there is harmony within interpretation. And so you have to make sure that your interpretations have to be in harmony with each other. <clears throat> and so how do we then apply these rules? What's the process? How do I make it simple for us to read Bible, the Bible and not get so caught up in trying to figure this stuff out that we lose what we just read? Because we spent so much time trying to figure out the literary concepts of it and the, and the patterns of the writing or the, the comparing it somewhere else within Scripture. How do we simplify it down to a process that we can begin um, learning and then over time can apply scripture as we read it to this process. So ever since I took this class, I read scripture completely differently. Every time I read a verse, every time I read a chapter, every time I read a book, I instantly think of these steps and I apply it as I'm reading and so through practice and through um, intentional uh, intentional practice, you can get to the point where you're not losing information, you're not losing time applying these principles to the scripture that you're reading. And so I, I simplified it as as much as I could for the sake of time to five steps. And so These are a a basic five-step process that if you write them down and you remember them and you take the time to look it up, you will get so much more out of what you're reading. An example, how many you guys know that I love Philippians. I quote Philippians probably more than any other book of the Bible in here. And the reason I love it is because Paul is talking about joy and he's talking about grace and he's talking about rejoicing in Christ. And if you don't apply hermeneutics to it, you miss so much. Because once you begin to apply hermeneutics, you recognize that Paul was writing this this letter to a church from prison and you begin to deduce the the background and the historical significance of it, and you begin to apply that G, that Paul was saying: rejoice in the Lord always, while he's in prison. And it applies a whole nother level of what we're reading. It's not just saying rejoice when times are good. It's saying specifically rejoice, specifically uh, even when times are bad, specifically or, or because times are bad. Even. And so the hermeneutics can add another level to your Bible reading. And if you've ever felt like, I'm reading the Bible and I'm just not getting anything out of this, chances are hermeneutics will help you. It will help you understand scripture better. It will help you apply it to your life better. And it will help you be able to take just a short little paragraph of scripture and get a day's worth of information out of it. And so, like I said, I've, I've simplified it down to uh, five steps. Five steps. The first step of biblical interpretation is to understand what the author was trying to say to the people of that time. The reason why this is so important is because the people of 2,000 plus years ago, weren't necessarily going through the same things as we're going through. When they're talking about talking to somebody, traveling to see somebody, they're talking about traveling days to have the conversation, whereas we can just pick up our phone and call somebody. So we have to apply, and I know that's a really dumb and out there example, but it it still applies because we have to understand what the people would have been going through back then. What processes would have to have, have occurred. When they talk about food... Food back then was significant because food revolved, your entire day revolved around food. Cooking was a long process. Growing crops were a long process. Um, storing food was a long process. Whereas today we've got refrigerators, we've got preservatives, we've got instant, you know, we can drive down to McDonald's and grab a meal. We have to understand what the significance of food even was to people back then. This, again, that's just another example. And so when we read scripture about food, if we can apply that first and foremost, then we can get more out of that scripture. When it's talking about not eating for a day, you have to realize, you know, what was significant to the people that he was writing this to. Were they hard laborers? So if they were to skip food for a day, it meant that they were doing, going through hard labor for a day and without food. Kind of, you get what I'm getting at. So the first rule of biblical interpretation is to understand what the author was trying to to say to the people of that time. The second rule or the second step is to understand the text's context, 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 it astounds me how many times I will see a post on Facebook taking a scripture out of context and applying it in a way it was never meant to be applied. And an example of that is exactly what we were talking about, how I took Satan's words and tried to make it look like this awesome, powerful thing in which it wasn't, because it was Satan speaking it. We have to take the context. And so in order to understand the context, you can't just take a scripture blankly and apply it to your life. You have to take that scripture, that, ch- that sentence, and you first have to understand what the point of the chapter or the paragraph is first. What's the paragraph trying to say? What point is the author trying to get across in this entire paragraph? And then you go up from there. So from the paragraph, you do chapter. What is the point of this chapter? Chapter. What is the author trying to get across in this chapter? Can I then, and like I said, the Bible has to be in harmony. If this paragraph seems out of place within this chapter, there's got to be a reason for it. We need to look deeper. Then you look at the entire book of the Bible. Like I said, Philippians is written from prison talking mostly about rejoice and how the church um, needs to function and being rejoiced to Christ um, even when times are tough because life gets hard. And he's trying to say, life sucks sometimes, but we have a savior who understands. And so that is the entire book of the Bible. And so if we read one sentence that says, times life sucks, the context of that sentence is so contrast to what the point of the book is, because the book is pointing to Jesus and what he's done for us and how amazing he is. Does that make sense? Okay. So then you te- take the next step up, what is the Bible as a whole trying to tell me? If, a book, if you understand a, a book of the Bible to be in contrast to what the entire Bible is telling you, you have to try to understand what that means. And so you have to take the entire Bible into context. What is the Bible's theme? What is the Bible's, uh, what is the Bible pointing to? And the Bible is always pointing to Jesus and God's love and God's grace. And so if, if the book of the Bible seems in contrast to God's love, for example, if we're reading Jeremiah and we're reading about God's condemnation upon, uh, among ancient Judah, and we're like, this looks like hatred. And, you know, there's a lot of people dying. This doesn't show God's love. If we understand the whole Bible is talking about God's love and God's grace, we then can begin to understand what Jeremiah was talking about, how it ultimately would point to God's love and God's grace and redemption and um, turning back to God. So you start with the, the sentence, you go to the, the paragraph, you then go to the chapter, you then go to the book, and then you go to the entire Bible. And you have to keep that in mind in order to even apply one sentence to your life. So if you're ever reading and you start off a chapter and it starts off with therefore, go back and figure out what the therefore is therefore. Actually figure out the context of what you're about ready to read. Step three is understanding the text's background. Like I said, you're separated from the authors by at least 2,000 years, if not, and that's in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's significantly more than that. You're separated by thousands of years by these authors, by the writers of Scripture. And so you have to understand the text's background. And so, for example, you know, uh, the Gospels, there's, the Gospels um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written to different audiences. The background was different. They were uh, a nation living within Rome. So there's an entire book, an entire version of the gospel, which was written out targeting specifically the Romans. And then you have another book of the Bible, which another gospel is specifically targeting Jews then you have another gospel representation, specifically targeting the Gentiles of the day. And so you have specific target audiences. And so when you read the gospels, the reason why the, the writing seems so different between one gospel to the next, why Matthew looks so different than Mark, is because you have to consider the background. You have to look at the application. Who was the writer writing to? Why was the writer writing? What was going on at this time? Was uh, Israel in exile? You know, had Israel just fallen to the Babylonians? You know, why was the writer writing about this? Solomon was extremely wealthy. Understand the background between him as a wealthy individual trying to find purpose in life. The background of Solomon, uh text is extremely important. And so, first and foremost, you have to figure out then, if you're looking at the background, who's the author? It is so important to understand who the author is. Because if you're looking at a text and you see, you know, one chapter, one book is written by Luke and another is written by John, you can begin to understand their background as well. You can understand that, you know, the disciples walk with Jesus while he was here on earth. And then you read John. You can understand that John was had a background in um, protesting and killing Christians. And he came out of that and was saved from that. And, and Jesus transformed his life. And you can understand his purpose in writing in a different way. So you have to understand the author. You know, who, like I said, who was the author writing to? John writes letters to churches. If you understand what the church looked like back then, you know, why was he writing to this church? Where was this church? How far away was this church? Was it right around the corner? Was it 6,000 miles away? You know, understanding who the text was written to is important. And then understanding the historical situations of the time. How would the original readers and listeners um, have heard and understand them, understood the message? How would they have received the message? These are all important. And good news, bad news? Uh, The bad news is, yeah, it takes a little bit of work to understand this information sometimes when you're reading Scripture. The good news is you live in a day and age where Google exists, and you can find all this information within five minutes. And you can write it down. You have Bibles at your hands that have this written on an entire page. A lot of times Bibles will have an entire page or two dedicated to, to the background of what you're about ready to read. And so remind yourself, if you're just reading a chapter a day, go back and read the background stuff before you get ready to start your chapter again. And being able to understand that information, it will help you to understand each chapter better. So step four. Step four is understanding the text genre. There are six major um, writing uh genres within scripture. The six major ones, we're only going to cover the six. Yeah, there are portions that are in different genres, but these are the majority of at least 2% or more of the text are written in these genres. And I'm going to list out each of these genres. So step four is understanding the text genre. The first genre is historical narrative. Historical narrative basically is exactly what it sounds like. It's a recording of events within history, both in a literal and factual manner. And an example would be, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's it's a historical uh, text writing about how the earth was created. The second um, genre is prophecy. Prophecy comes from um, the mouth of prophets, basically. Prophets were spokesmen for God. They delivered a pertinent message to the people of their times, sometimes even foretelling events that were to come to pass. You know, for example, Isaiah was talking about the destruction of Israel throughout Isaiah. Um, he was a prophet, and so what he has written, what he wrote, sometimes he would speak to the future, sometimes he would talk about God's judgment that was coming that could pass if they didn't turn, their, um, turn back towards God. Um, and then at the same time, it also shows the historical narrative as to what then transpired after they did or didn't turn back to God. The next one is epistolary. The epistles were letters written by individuals addressed to a particular people and or church. That's a lot of what Paul wrote. Paul, the vast majority of what Paul wrote within the New Testament is epistles, two churches. And so epistle, epistles are found mostly in the New Testament because of what Paul did. And, um, so Paul the Apostle wrote the majority of the epistles in the New Testament, um, with uh, John also did, Peter did, James and Jude also wrote epistles. So if you read, uh, anything by Paul, anything by John, anything by Peter, anything by James, anything by Jude, chances are it was probably epistle. And so author, that goes back to understanding the author, who wrote it. If you know Paul wrote it, you then can understand that it's probably an epistle. So then you can apply, the epistle was probably written to a church. So then you can apply, this is talking about a, spe- a specific church. Then you can then deduce that um, and apply it as to what it means in your life. Um, the next genre is wisdom literature. Wisdom consists of about 6% of total biblical text. And wisdom literature is found in Job's Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Um, they basically provide general statements about life and the way that they normally are. So it's, it's talking about wisdom. It's stuff that, um, is important for us to know and to be understanding in that, you know, if you apply the, the biblical wisdom to your life, your life will probably be a lot simpler. It will be a lot more wholesome. It'll be a lot more constructive. Um, but they provide general statements about life and the way that life uh exists. Proverbs um especially, they're not meant to discuss all of the possible variations within life. There are short statements pertaining to life in general, and the wisdom literature does not describe life as it exists 100% of the time. So it can talk about how sometimes life sucks, and it's not saying life always sucks, but it can, but it's talking about how we then can deal with life sucking, how we can endure the hardships in life. That's biblical wisdom, wisdom literature. The next genre is poetry poetic genre. Um, the Psalms hold the majority of poetry within scripture. Uh, Psalm is a song, thus the Psalmists wrote their Psalms in rhythmic patterns in the original language. And so you know how you can read lyrics of music and you can deduce what they're saying, but you understand that they're going to write it in a weird kind of way because they're trying to have a rhythmic pattern with it. And so they might choose words that sound a little off in this place because they rhyme or something like that. Same thing with the poetry genre. You have to understand that they were written in a rhythmic way. And so sometimes it can be hard to interpret them because the original language, they would choose words that would allow it to flow in a rhythmic pattern. The psalmists then evoke emotion in their texts. So they're trying to get emotion the same way modern songs do. You're trying to get an emotion out of the song. They're trying to write their emotions out. You know, NF is a a Christian writer or a, a Christian rap artist. He says he's not... but no, he says he's not a Christian rapper. He's a Christian who raps, but he's a Christian rapper. And he writes his emotions out in his lyrics. And so when you know that it's his emotion that is coming out, it's because of his life experiences, his pent-up um, frustrations, his anxiety, his depression, he's writing that out in text. And so it's, it's not necessarily applying 100% blanket statement, you know, all moms on earth are going to overdose on drugs. I know that's a little bit ex- exaggerated, but <clears throat> if you understand that they were writing their problems, they were writing their life experiences, they were writing out music, they were writing their heart, you can understand the text a lot better. And so, from their trials to their triumphs, um, they expor- express their emotion through poetry, through uh, songs. And so, biblical poetry captures their emotional state. So, if you can recognize that it's emotional writing, you can understand it better. And so last but definitely not least, the Bible consists of apocalyptic genre. Apocalyptic genre is exactly what it sounds like it is. It's specifically scripture that talks about the end times and pertains to the end times. About 2% of the Bible is apocalyptics. apocalyptic. The writers were concerned about the end times. So if it's in the apocalyptic genre, which sometimes it will apply today, because some people do believe we're living in the end times. But if we aren't living in the end times, then this information doesn't pertain to us, basically. Long story short. And so we can look at it with the understanding that they were writing about the end times. And so, um, for example, like I said in Revelation 5, Jesus is identified as the lamb, saying that he has seven horns and seven eyes. John doesn't really believe and isn't saying that John literally has seven eyes and seven literal horns upon his head in heaven. He's talking about symbolism. He's talking about end times, and uh, there's a lot of symbolism within the end time apocalyptic genre. So the book of Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, um, Zechariah, and Isaiah contain the majority of apocalyptic writings. <clears throat> so step five, Step five, last but not least, is understanding the text application to your life. So once you've gone through steps one through four and you've identified all of those things, you then last, definitely has to be last, you can apply those thoughts and that teaching to your life. Because only after you've gone through the rest of the things is the text actually fully understood. And you can only then interpret what the application would be to your life. And so you then would ask yourself, what does this text mean to me today? How does this apply to my life? So, all right, what we're going to do Is I will have it listed on the board, but I'm going to break you off into, I'll say, three groups. In those three groups, I'm going to give you a text. And in those groups, you're going to have to read the text, and you're going to have to apply these steps and these principles to what you're reading. And then when we're all said and done you can then will pick a spokesperson and tell me what the application, what the final step is, what, how does this apply to your life? And so I'm going to number you guys off one through three. So princess one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And then us leaders will walk around, help spurring conversation. Um, So before you guys break off, you'll break off into three different areas and circle up. But before you break off, I want to give you a few resources that you can use. And that's the thing is, this is, uh, Scripture reading is always an open book test, so to say. You've got resources at your hands. And this thing has made Bible reading extremely beneficial, or extremely easy. Because you can look up, and even Wikipedia is a decent source to apply scripture to your life. But I'm going to give you a couple um, sources uh, in which you can use on the, the next graphic. And so feel free, use your phones, look up information, look up commentaries, see what other people have said about the text, and then deduce your own information from that. So go ahead, go to the next slide. I will shut the front light off. Um, So you guys can read it. But the resources I recommend, I highly recommend, I use these every time I write a sermon. Literally every time I write a sermon, I use theopedia.com, biblehub.com, and Wikipedia. Wikipedia is not as... Uh, I wouldn't take what Wikipedia says as 100% truth, but it can give you general information about like backgrounds. And then you go to the Bible hub and you can read commentaries. You can look at the original Greek language Bible hub. You can, um, go in, you can look what the original language is. You can look at all of the different translations together. You can, um, there's a lot of really cool things you can do through Bible hub. And then, like I said, Theopedia is like a scriptural dictionary. And so, Go ahead, break off, remember your numbers. Um, one, take your chairs, meet in the back over there. Uh, two, we'll meet here, and 3 we'll meet here. All right, group one. Which one of you is group one? Pick a spokesperson, tell us what you deduced. Yep, and you actually have to speak in the mic too. We make sure this mic's on. Thing testing, check, check, check. But now you get it out of the way, and you're
1: good. Um, so... Basically, um, what we were able to gather from that part of the scripture is basically about grace and sin. First off, the first verse 15 talks about Adam and trespassing. So basically, the way um, Adam's sin brought us punishment, and basically like the punishments, like separation from God. We don't get to talk to God directly, except like through Jesus Christ, and blah 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 blah. So all those punishments that came from the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that's the same way one person who is Jesus Christ came and died, took away those sins and brought grace. So um, the same way the sin came from one person and affected and has been affecting generations and lifetimes and this and this, that's the same way the grace kind of speaks and sort of neutralizes those sins. So we have god 's grace available for us the same way the sin was was kind of made available for us kind of so the way the sin came that 's the same way we have the grace of God now to neutralize that sin, to erase that sin so that's the grace of God now um, abides with us, so we walk by grace, we talk by grace, we walk by grace, everything basically we do as Christians, is affected by the grace of God because it's not by our own self, it's not by our own uh, strength, power, whatever. It's just basically about the grace of God that ab- uh, ab- abounds with us. Because like, if we have to say what we did to deserve the grace, we really didn't do anything. So the same way we didn't do anything to get the punishments that came with Adam's sin, that's the same way Jesus Christ died for us and then brought us grace. So the grace speaks louder than the sin if if you kind of understand that, so I think that's what it is. All
0: right, I'm not gonna tell you whether you're right or wrong. Wow. <laughs> Group two. We're just going with the five, right? the hmm. Five. That's what yeah, we're you're doing. just telling us what. Okay. Yep. Okay. What? What? The process.
2: The information this process gave you. Okay. Uh, So what we got from it was that it it does cover sin and grace. Um, Essentially that you have to understand we're all sinners. And you have to accept that. But when he talks about um, the sin and the wages of sin is death, is that if sin can bring death, what more can Jesus bring um, for you? Uh, The power that he has and the grace that he has is that If one sin can bring that much detrimental to you, what more can Jesus, you know, the Son of God, bring upon your life under his grace? There's so much more that he can bring, and it's not just for one person, but for everybody. Uh, So that's kind of what we got, and you can't earn it. It's nothing you can do to earn that grace. It's a gift, and the foundation of your faith is that you have to trust in him and believe in him and allow God's grace to just become part of your life and and, and trust in, you know, what He says and what He does.
3: Awesome. Group three. All right. So, it started off by saying that you can't even really compare sin, the one sin uh, that separated us from God, with Jesus' action to bring us back to God. Um, So, basically what they said was that uh, if that one sin could bring all that death and destruction and separation from God for a couple thousand years, how much more um, could Jesus' action of dying on the cross do in the opposite direction? How much more life and peace with God could that bring and so it was basically just saying that you can't even compare them even though that's exactly what I was doing you can't compare them it's not on the same scale it's not in the same ballpark um, and that grace covers a multitude of sins sins that were committed sins that are being committed sins that are going to be committed it covers all of it and then far far beyond it that but- Awesome, thank you guys.
0: So all of you were right, and um, but I will give Phil a little bit more credit than the rest of you guys, this group, because that is a, a very important teaching in this is that if sin can cause so much harm through mankind, the actions of one man. Can create death throughout mankind. How much and how significant that was. Jesus is even more significant. That what he did was even more powerful than what sin brought into mankind. And so, all of you guys picked up on the truth. You all were right. Um, but I, that that extra, and I give you credit for that because that's one that a lot of people miss in this is that it is comparing the two and it's saying that, you know, sin caused so much chaos and death and destruction and it doesn't even compare. It's not even in the same realm, in the same spectrum of what Jesus Christ did for us. And so it's saying that um, how much more so are we absolved from sin because of Jesus than that we were born into sin because of Adam. And what Jesus did was so much more significant than even what Adam did. And so we as Christians live as uh, under Jesus and we are no longer under Adam. We're no longer under the sin. We're under Jesus because of what Jesus did. And so our sin is not even comparable to what Jesus has done for us. Um, but yeah, you guys did an awesome job and I give you guys 100%. You guys did, uh, you got the the basic teaching of this you figured out what it meant how it applied and what the application was to your guys's life perfectly and you know um i suspect each of you picked up on that phil was just the only one that said it but um so a- another piece of advice that i want to give you guys before we close and you guys did a great job and and uh i encourage you use this practice when you're reading scripture and you're like okay I'm going to read a chapter read your chapter but then go through and and figure out what that means do this process figure out what the application of that chapter means to you in your life figure out the or inter- er, interpret it into or er, figure out what the interpretation is and means and then apply it to your life i 100% uh, encourage you to do this because it, it will change the way you read scripture, scripture. And as of right now, that took time. It took a process. You guys had to look up resources. You had to figure stuff out. As you begin to practice this more, you get quicker with it and it becomes just a part of your normal daily reading. And it only takes you a minute to figure out all of this information. You begin to, to deduce this information. And as you do it more and more, you begin to memorize certain details. How, you know, and I, I bring it up again just because I have already brought it up tonight. But Philippians written by Paul is like, now I can read Philippians because I have that information memorized because I've looked it up enough times that now I can just go in and read Philippians and I can understand that background information without having to look it up every single solitary time. You know, when we're in men's group, and Phil can attest to this, sometimes we're interpreting or, or, or reading a scripture and I'll let everybody speak, but then I'll kind of chime in, hey, just so you guys know, the background information is this. This is the information you guys are missing. Now what does it mean? And so it completely changes the conversation because they had the background information. But one tool that I, I do recommend, I highly recommend, and I was visiting with Jordan about this, and uh, um, a tool that I, I really, really strongly recommend. If you struggle to read scripture, like if you pull out the Bible and it's written in a language you just can't, Comprehend. Look up a different translation. And one translation, if you're really struggling with a, a chapter or verse and you just can't grasp what it is trying to say, I always use the example of the um, Romans seven. The "This is what I do. I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do." Part of the Bible. It's really confusing. Look it up in different translations. And one translation that you can use as a tool to help better understand. Um, what something is saying is the message Bible. The message translation, the message Bible is basically one man who went and he did this and then he wrote the interpretation of what each verse is for us, basically. And so it is one man's interpretation. So you can't use it as scripture. Like it shouldn't be a replacement for scripture in your life. However, if you use it as a tool to help you understand scripture better, the message translation is awesome. And so I highly recommend it. If you struggle reading the Bible because it's just too hard to comprehend, too hard to understand, too hard to get in the habit. It's just too hard to read in general. Look up the message translation and and start from there. And, uh, like I said, the other resources, Theopedia, Bible Hub. I will leave this up for a little bit, um, for give you guys an opportunity to take a picture of it. I really, really strongly, I've, I don't know if I've ever strongly in, or encouraged something as strongly as I'm encouraging this today. Do this when you read your scripture. That's not going to work, <laughs> Phil. Seriously, apply these principles to reading scripture you will grow more in six months applying this to the scripture you read than you have probably grown in your entire walk as a Christian not applying these principles. I don't know, Matt, I know you've, we've talked about applying these principles a little in the past before. Can you attest to that? That applying these principles, it it will transform your walk with scripture. I promise you that. And so I've uh, I'm I know I'm going on and on and I you're tired of hearing me say it but seriously apply this to your scripture reading. There's a reason why in order to become a pastor you have to take an entire class just on hermeneutics. Just on this. Like I said, this is a textbook, a class you would take a full-time like a literal class textbook brought down to one single solitary sermon, six pages of information. There's a lot of information on hermeneutics. There's a reason why we have to go through that class in order to be a a pastor. It's because it's important. And it's important for you as a Christian to understand basic studying of the Bible, basic hermeneutics, basic exegesis. And so I don't, now from you guys that are in here, If I ever see you quote scripture and just blanket bumper sticker it out on Facebook and it is out of context, I'm going to call you out on it because you've learned how to deduce meaning from scripture. And I'm not saying that anybody in this room has done it, but people in this room have done it. (laughs) I've seen it it happens. People within Chi Alpha, and it's not recently, I'm not saying that this sermon was inspired by anything, but it pains me every time I see someone quote scripture incorrectly from Chi Alpha. And so I fully expect everybody in this room to stop doing that, because it hurts Christianity. It doesn't help it. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this information. We thank you for your truth in scripture. God, we thank you that you inspired the Bible in the first place, that we have a Bible that we can look to for truth, that you have said that the truth matters. The truth is important. And so we thank you that you wrote out the truth. And so, Lord, I pray that we could dig into your word better, that we could understand your word better that we could apply scripture to our lives better. And the Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us as we read scripture and that you would help us to understand it even more than a simple five-step process can. Holy Spirit, you can help us understand even more than this process can. But Lord, we pray that you would bless us in this process and help us to understand your truth the way that you meant it and not the way that it can so easily be twisted. Lord, I pray for these students that as they leave here, they would be inspired to read more of your word and that they would have motivation to read the Bible more this week. And the Lord, that you would protect them and help guide them, help them with their study habits, with their time management, that they could get better grades and that they could study better and maybe even apply hermeneutics to their textbooks, that they're they're other documents they have to read in life. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.